Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. Thanks very much for joining us today. Uh, today's podcast is going to be something a little bit different. Um, I was interviewed a few weeks ago by the brilliant Martin Lee from EV News Daily. Um, EV News Daily, if you haven't come across it, is a fantastic daily EV news podcast. Uh, pretty much does what it says on the tin. Martin's really great. Uh, he's got a wonderful style about him. Um, it's a fantastic podcast with, which summarizes basically everything you need to know about what's happening in the EV world every day. I listen to it every day now, and I recommend if you're interested in EVs, you do too. Um, Martin interviewed me for his Saturday special uh, podcast so that kind of gets away from the normal EV news and we talked about Avid and what we do here and uh, talked about some technology in the marketplace and about charging and all sorts of interesting things um, I, th- I think it was a it's a pretty good interview quite interesting um, I really hope you enjoy it so without further ado here's the EV News Daily interview Hi, Martin. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for making time to have a chat to us. So a little brief introduction about Avid. I've, I've kind of given it the one-line treatment, but tell us a little bit more maybe about where the company started and a little bit more overview to kind of set the table and everyone listening around the world to let them know what, the, what you do at Avid. Yeah, okay, no problem. Um, so Avid was established in, in 2004. We, uh, we began properly in 2005. We've been involved in vehicle powertrain electrification since the beginning. Um, so really you know doing this a long time before it was fashionable um we we spent a lot of time working with vehicle manufacturers trying to convince them to look at electrification in the old days Um, and that's really that allowed us to build up quite a decent portfolio of products and technology uh, that you need for powertrain electrification we've We've pretty much concentrated on heavy-duty vehicles, so trucks and buses and off-highway machinery. And we also um, were involved in quite a lot of very high-performance vehicles as well, so sort of supercars and hypercars and that kind of thing. Wow, so you do everything from the commercial vehicles to super high technology. You started in 2004, though, and if you go back to... This sounds silly because it's actually not that long ago. There was So that was five years before something like the Mitsubishi iMeve, uh, to put that into perspective. That was... That was four years before the Tesla Roadster was first delivered to customers in 2008. I mean, development only began on the Roadster at uh, Tesla Motors in 2004. So you're going a long way back. What was what was the landscape like back then that made you want to found a company like this? So I'd I'd been working in the uh, in the motorsport industry for about ten years, building and running racing cars, which was. It's kind of all of the things that you think it is, plus an awful lot of hard work and sleepless nights. And literally one day I kind of woke up and I just had this revelation of what on earth am I doing? And that with with motorsport, we were sort of having an exciting time, but we weren't really making the planet a better place. My kind of conscience got the better of me. So I I came home uh, to the northeast, which is where I'm from originally. And uh, I got a proper job, as my mum would like to say, uh, working in a a manufacturing company, leading sort of business development and things like that and engineering. Through the course of that next sort of three or four years, I just really I wanted to get back into the automotive industry um, and and do something really positive. And and the, the idea for Avid came about 
came about in that time. So using my kind of background in automotive and mixture of electronics and mechanical engineering, and, and we started uh, doing some stuff. And it was, it was clear to me, it seems strange now, because it's clear to everyone now, in 2004, it was clear to me that we we had a huge problem. And if, in fact, our first uh, company presentation, the very first slide had two pictures on it. And one was about climate change and one was about air quality. And at the time, you know, I, got, I seriously got laughed out of a lot of meetings for uh, kind of raising these two things as an issue. But it was clear to me that it was a huge issue and there, there was a lot that needed to be done about it. Um, and, and, you know, within that, there was a big opportunity to make a difference and build a great business. So that's that's kind of how it all started. So that's that sounds incredibly romantic and uh, uh, a bit over the top, but, that, you know, that genuinely is what happened. When did you sense a change, a change in the tide, if you like? So for us, the first sort of few years of the business were very hard but we managed to make some relationships with some good customers and we were kind of keeping the lights on, you know, keep moving forwards, developing some good standard technology um, for EV drive lines, hybrid drive lines, mild hybridization, things like that. The big change for us, I think, was in the towards the back end of 2016. So, so still very, very recently. And it, it started, it was a meeting with a customer and they told us about their new strategy they were introducing. And this was a company that makes made conventional heavy duty vehicles and they had a new strategy and it was all about uh, redesigning their current vehicles to be electric powertrain first. And we left that meeting thinking, you know, wow, that's, that's a massive change, but it was a smaller manufacturer. It wasn't one of the big guys. Maybe everyone else isn't going to follow. But literally within a few weeks, we were in a meeting at a major, like a huge global manufacturer we've been working with for a while on quite a small project. And they were telling us, yep, new strategy, electrification of the vehicle powertrain, it, you know, no more pure diesel platforms. And then the next day we were in a meeting with another massive global vehicle manufacturer. They told us exactly the same thing. Massive change has been fairly recent, I would say, but you know, 2016, last year, just one month after the next. So customers announcing major new programs for electrification, um, new hybrid vehicles coming out, new full EVs, and and it be becoming really a, a centerpiece of everyone's vehicle development strategy. So, you know, electrification is now in the sort of top one or two things that most OEMs uh, are working on. And typically the top two are electrification and automation. So that's the the kind of two things that are keeping most uh, execs at the big OEMs awake at night. As much as you can, your your life must be surrounded by non-disclosure agreements. Is there anything, for people listening to the podcast, is there anything that you can talk about now that's in the past, sort of recognisable names who you have worked with or supplied parts for, or are you really not allowed to talk about that? Yeah, we have to be really careful because you're absolutely right. Our life is full of NDAs. Um, but we've, we've done some really exciting programs in the past. I think our the one kind of takeaway about Avid, uh, you'll find our products on almost every single hybrid or electric bus and truck made in Europe at the moment. You know, that's the sort of top takeaway. So we, we deal with pretty much every single major bus and truck manufacturer, uh, many further afield. In terms of big sort of notable names, we've got some really exciting customers. A lot of the cars in the Formula E use our components. A lot of the cars in um, sort of supercars that you were seeing rattling up and down the hill at uh, Goodwood also have our components in. I think the, the biggest deal that we are able to talk about in the public domain was one that we announced a, a couple of months ago, which is a program with Jaguar Land Rover. So that's being supported by the Advanced Propulsion Centre. So there's a bit of UK government money going into that. And that means that we can talk about it um, to a certain extent. So, so we're working with Jaguar Land Rover and we're, we're developing a lot of components for their next generation hybrid vehicles. 
Uh, so that's that's a really exciting program for us. So from your experts position and your point of view it's very easy for idiots like me on a podcast to sit here and flippantly say we should all be driving full electric cars everything from the mildest of mild 48 volt hybrid systems the kind of things that spin up turbos and pulleys and things that the engine would otherwise do to help increase that fuel economy all the way through to where's your head currently at on you know the biggest opportunities or what you would like to see people buying or what you think the market is doing at the moment yeah so i i'm i like all electrification and um you know what one of my sort of main things that really annoys me is people uh, setting off you know fuel cells versus electric vehicles and when we did we did a podcast on that topic just in itself uh, a couple of weeks ago and it came up again today they're all electric vehicles so a fuel cell vehicle is an electric vehicle um, and it's got some advantages and some disadvantages we do a lot of work with very simple electrification so for trucks and buses and, and off-highway machines there's an awful lot you can do with the electrification of the engine ancillaries the thermal management system uh, and making a sort of mild hybrid package and that's going to be really really popular in the heavy duty market uh, over the next few years and particularly with the um, the new standards that have come in for co2 reduction so i don't have a problem with with 48 volt mild hybrids i think it's excellent technology and it can it can make a really really valuable real world difference one of the reasons in passenger car why these things haven't been in the market already for a long time because you know the the OEMs knew about electrified ancillaries 10 years ago but the the testing regime that existed with the NEDC driving cycle didn't really show a benefit whereas the new testing uh, in passenger vehicles with the the um, WLTP and the RDE driving cycle shows a huge benefit with electrified ancillary systems electrified ancillaries and mild hybrids are fantastic uh, PHEVs you know they've got a really important place in the market as well the really interesting thing is that BEVs are improving so quickly that actually for most people a BEV that with a sort of 40 to 65 kilowatt hour battery pack that that does everything you need so the you know the i3 has a bit of a small battery basically uh, depending on which model gear it is but you know if you if you look at a 65 kilowatt hour battery pack in a car that's that's perfect and there's a lot of those coming into the market in the next couple of years so i, th- I think the next sort of two years we're going to see a massive change in thinking in terms of bevs because for you know a lot of cases people aren't doing huge mileage you don't necessarily even need home charging a friend of mine has a renault zoe and he doesn't have a charge point at home he just charges on public infrastructure and manages perfectly fine with that i like it all and i think it's all good because it, you know it's it's all about electrification uh, to get rid of emissions so whatever you can do if you can do something it's better than doing nothing and really sort of sitting back and not doing anything because you're not sure what the technology is going to be i think is the wrong approach um, because the, the, the they all support each other you know if you've got a full ev you need electrified ancillaries um, so wh- why not develop really good electrified ancillaries for your internal combustion engine products there's an awful lot of learning that goes across all the different platforms. So, and and I think a, a lot of manufacturers are, are really realising that now, and they're getting um, very stuck into all sorts of different electrification. It's the time where it's all happening right now. Well, on, the, on that subject of the, the pace of change, because you work in this, you you have a deep understanding of what's happened in the past, how quickly things are happening, changing now. You have a deep understanding of supply chains and contracts being done. My favourite example, and it's an unfair example and one day 
I mean, goodness, I, I hope I never meet the chap because I keep picking on him on the, on the podcast. It's the head of Daimler or Daimler Trucks, Martin Daum. And in February, when Elon Musk announced the Tesla Semi and said it's 500 miles range, uh, then he Martin Daum came out and said, if Tesla delivers on this promise, we'll buy two trucks, one to take apart to test because something has passed us by, and one to uh, and one to test drive. Uh, he yeah. said, I remember that, that quote. For now, the same laws of physics apply. Here's someone who is massively in the know talking about somebody else who is massively in the know, and these two things are, are not lining up. It seems to be going at breakneck speed. Uh, yeah, I think it. I think it is. I think the the, the problem that you've the situation you just described, uh, there was another one today where someone was quoting the head of uh, Lexus who basically got all of his terminology wrong. And uh, to me, I just think it's basically not acceptable. If you're in a senior position in a big car OEM, you you should have a better grip in terms of where the state of the art is. Um, and I, I think the guy from Daimler, they're not the, the most agile of businesses, and I think they know that. The pace of development, so Tesla really interesting because they move a lot faster. They don't have any legacy of internal combustion engine, and that, you know, really, it really is a real problem in the big OEMs where they've got years and years and years of experience with internal combustion engines. They've got whole departments, and the senior guys, they're not necessarily that close to what's happening on the on the ground floor. You know, so they they, they will be relying on what they're sort of senior team around them are telling them and if those guys are not people who've got experience in electrification and they just understand diesel engines and that's their point of view of the world to be frank they'll be getting the wrong advice at the moment i think there's quite a lot of that in the legacy industry still still to be overcome love them or hate them that's tesla's sort of ace card is they don't carry that um, they don't carry that legacy baggage they've got their own issues and they've got other other problems, but it does allow them, I think, to move a little bit more quickly, very focused, very clear vision of, of what they want to do. The automotive market is it's quite a slow moving market because essentially, you know, trucks and cars are very complex engineered products. And if they go wrong, bad things can happen. So you've got to make sure that they work and they work properly under every single circumstance. Our expectations of the quality level of a car or a truck um, or an off-highway machine are incredibly high. So these engineering um, uh, cycles, are, you know, they're not months they're measured in years so it'll, it'll take between three and five years to introduce a completely new product i think tesla move a little bit more quickly than that maybe they can turn it around in 18 months that's a ridiculously breakneck speed so if you imagine if you've got a new technology that's in the laboratory um, and it works great you've probably got a few years in the lab of refining it and improving it and then you've got maybe four or five years of new product introduction process commercializing it scaling it up and getting the, the vehicle that it's going to be built into launched in the market so what you're seeing now is vehicles and so it's you know, battery technologies, are, for example, batteries are coming into the market now that we knew about 10 years ago, but they're just becoming available commercially in high volumes now. Um, so that, that you've always got to kind of bear that cycle in mind. So we can basically see what the technology looks like for about the next five 
six years um, and, it, and it looks really good. On the subject of things like reliability and testing, so Avid Technology is business to business, not business to consumer. And the thing about Tesla is having Elon as that figurehead and that um, uh, how much of a cult of personality uh, that is around him as well. And I find many Tesla owners as well know that they are in a way beta testers when they have a piece of headlining that's rattling or something that isn't quite working. And they know that it'll get fixed if they take it back to the service centre, but it doesn't seem to bother them. But if... VW start making 250, 500,000 cars out of some of their big factories. So as a supplier to those companies, you must be under a lot of uh, scrutiny, pressure, just to ensure that your own quality control is right up there because you, you can't be saying, oh, yeah, this was, this was cutting-edge technology. We didn't quite get it right. Never mind. <laughs> the, the people you're selling your technology to, it, it absolutely must work first time, right? Yeah, and there's the, we, we, we spend a huge amount of money and resources. You have a two-step process, design validation and then production validation. All of the products that we launch into the market go through very extensive design development validation programs and these things it, it takes a long time you know mi- minimum length of time for us to launch a product is 18 months and a lot of that is is spent in doing accelerated life cycle testing putting the components under conditions they would never actually really see in real life but just to stress them out a lot of our parts are going into commercial vehicles which have to last for 50,000 hours there's a lot of engineering goes into making that product's robust and reliable, so it's going to survive under every possible imaginable condition. Um, and we definitely ha- we have some interesting times where we're doing kind of initial prototyping and early stage development, and you're working with parts that haven't quite been through that full validation process yet, and you can you know you can really see the difference in terms of how they perform. Wow. Okay. Like, I, I've already been longer than I said that I said I would, but I've got two super quick questions to finish up. Just as we've as we have an expert on the podcast today, uh, the final two things I want to talk about. Firstly, charging, charge speeds, uh, charge port connectors, uh, things like charging at home. How fast will we ever end up charging at home? Are we limited by our own? domestic housing supply and how fast will we be charging our EVs when we're out on the road uh, over the next few years from your perspective of avid technology and, and things like charging technology you're involved in that as well it's a funny one that so I think that people get overly obsessed with charge rates and we're pushing for faster and faster charging all the time but it, the reality is that if you look at the uh, the energy consumption of a typical EV per per mile per kilometer it's very low and how we use particularly passenger vehicles they're driven for a bit and then they're stationary for hours and then they're driven for a bit again and fast charging is is not actually really required for like 95 percent of um of what we do with the vehicle three kilowatts charging gives gives you enough um seven kilowatts perfect so i think most homes what, what, what needs to happen is most domestic um, homes need to have the ability to have two times seven kilowatt charge points in them um, on, on the property. And then for on-street charging, you know, three to seven is, is enough for, for like 90%. And then very fast charging, you know, it is required and it is helpful for some journeys in passenger vehicles. And it's, you know, more helpful for... Uh, commercial vehicles but you do start to run in all sorts of problems with 
grid uh, capacity and infrastructure capacity if you're trying to put you know 500 kilowatts into a battery it's a uh, it's very challenging getting a grid connection that can deliver that so so what you're starting to see there and i think there's actually a business model in this in itself tesla will start to do this linked to the truck and they're the sort of perfect company in terms of what they've got across their business you'll have fast charging stations for trucks with very high power delivery capability but the, um, they will also have uh, grid-connected battery systems. So they'll be able to work off a fairly low power grid connection and have some local battery storage at the, at the charging station to, to kind of buffer. So then you can dump a lot of energy quickly into the, into the truck, which can go on and the battery will sort of charge up slowly again. I think there's a business model in that because then you can also use those same batteries for doing localized grid stabilization, fast frequency response. So in um, providing, basically providing power back onto the power grid in that local area uh, to help stabilize it, which is a business area all in itself. Or if you imagine something like um, uh, an office complex or a hospital, hospital is quite a good example. In a hospital, you've, you're already going to have a backup generator set um, or in, in a big office block or in any industrial building, you're going to have backup power in case the main grid fails. Um, so, you know, people are replacing backup generating sets with backup battery packs. And again, that if that's done properly, that can be linked into your recharging infrastructure to give you a bit more capacity for recharging um, locally and kind of tie it up to another service in the building. So there's a, there's a huge amount of work going on in that space at the moment. Um, and a, and a few different models. But I think the, the fundamental thing for passenger cars is actually seven kilowatts is fine for, for the vast majority of what, you know, 90% of journeys require. If you're doing really long journeys and you, you're going to use, um, you know, fully deplete a 100 kilowatt hour battery in a, in a, with a few hours of driving, then you do, you know, you want to see a, a sort of 200 kilowatt or above um, charging capability. But I don't see it getting much above about 500 kilowatts. Even if we had bigger capacity batteries, it's more the practicality of if you're using 300 watt hours per mile, you know, how many miles can you actually travel realistically before you as a person physically have to stop? You know, that might change a little bit with um, more autonomous vehicles, but the person and their need to go to the bathroom or have a sandwich or a cup of coffee is the becomes the limitation where, where people tend to think is about fully oh we have to be able to fully recharge the battery at every stop and that's you don't you have to be able to put as much or slightly more energy back into the battery than you've just used getting to that point you know so it's not necessarily a case of completely fully recharging a battery every time you hit a charger the, the other problem that you face if you've got very fast sort of, there's a lot of 50 kilowatt fast chargers at the moment what happens with those is people leave their car on a 50 kilowatt charger for two hours. They're blocking the charger. Um, even on a seven kilowatt charger, I see this all the time in my got a plug-in hybrid and you drive around trying to find a charge post and all the charge posts are blocked because people in the city center have parked their car on a seven kilowatt post all day. You know, and actually that's going to fill that, even a, a 40 kilowatt hour battery, if it was fully empty, that's going to fill that battery within sort of uh, four hours. So those charge points where people are going to be parked for a long time could actually do with being lower power. That's fascinating. That is, that's an interesting interesting take on it. And you answered my, my, my question was going to be about storage as well. So you read my mind uh, and you asked. Interesting point on changing habits as well, depending on what, what psychology book you read. It might be 21 days or 66 days, but we've had 100 years of developing a habit of going to a certain place to fuel a car and uh, lots, yeah. of, lots of people think well, uh, let, let's go somewhere to put energy into our personal transport and that's going to be a whole 
shift of of habit and that's going to be for some easy and for some slightly more difficult and uh and certainly yeah. interesting to watch the investments that the oil industry are making they've got all this land and they've they've got all these forecourts and and they're certainly going to be as they have been shell and bp investing in uh in charge providers hoping that we'll go to their forecourt to charge up our ev but um we'll we'll wait and see how that plays out they've got the money to back up, yeah. To, to back it up, yeah. but I'm just not convinced it's going to be a habit that we necessarily have to force ourselves. No, because as you know, it's a passive uh, process. It's a passive process now. So it's um, you don't you're not standing there with your trigger, your fingers on the trigger, p- putting fuel into the vehicle. You just you spend like two seconds, click, plug in, and then you walk off, and that's it done. Um, and it, it's very it is very different. We we did a we were involved in an early project. The first Nissan Leafs that came into the country, we were involved in a project that looked at how they were used and how people would use them. Um, we had some of our vehicles and there were some Leafs and some uh, Peugeot Ion, which was a Mitsubishi Imiev. And it was fascinating seeing how driver behavior changed in a fairly short space of time um, with the charging habits, how people went from being very conscious about plugging it in every time they saw a charge point, to then it sort of dropped down to maybe only every three or four days they'd, they'd plug the vehicle in. Um, and I think there's some similar information from Tesla in terms of the frequency of how the, of their high capacity, uh, you know, the, the supercharger network is used. Um, you know, people go from basically every time they see one plugging in to a much lower frequency of, of plugging in. Because it is such a passive process, the time it takes is not as critical as the time it takes to refuel your car with petrol. Wow. All good stuff to think about. Thank you so much for your time on the podcast today. It's been way longer than I thought we would need, but it's just fascinating to have an expert on and to hear your take on it. I've been, you know, been doing it for 14 years in this industry, so thank you so much. If people want to find out more about what Avid Technology does, what's the best way to find out more about uh, your company? Uh, so um, our website has got a lot of information on it. Um, we do a lot of video content as well, which is all linked from the website. And then as, as uh, we talked about earlier, we've got our own podcast now as well. What's that called and how do we find it? Um, so if you looked for the Avid Electric Vehicle Podcast on any of the normal, you know, on iTunes or there seems to be a zillion different podcast channels, um, you'll find us. Uh, it's basically we're the only, we seem to be the only people doing a, a technology-led um, electric vehicle podcast. Avid Electric Vehicle Podcast. Make sure you go and search for that. It'll find, it'll show up in all the different uh, various places, of course, on iTunes and those kind of things. And we look forward to hearing uh, your next few installments. If you want to go online, it's avidtp.com. That's avidtp.com. Ryan, thank you so much for your time today. And I hope maybe in the future we can catch up again somewhere down the line and 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 kind of look about what we talked about and see which predictions came true and what we were, you know, what we were off on and, <laughs> and then re- reappraise at some point. That would be great. Yeah. Fantastic, Martin. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, and that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, um, hit like, uh, leave us a rating. Um, if you enjoyed uh, enjoyed the podcast, we'll be back uh, with a normal podcast about uh, more kind of technology-orientated stuff soon. Um, don't forget, if you've got any questions or any topics you'd like us to deep dive on, please do send us an email and get in touch through the socials. Um, we have uh, we have lots of questions coming in, and that is forming the basis for future podcasts. So you will get um, you will get your questions answered um, if you send them in. Okay, uh, thanks very much. Thanks very much for joining us today. I do hope to talk to you again soon.